welcome to another episode of the Being Unconventional podcast hosted by the Faculty on the Environment. My name is Audrey, I'm a final year geography student and I am here today with two very inspiring women to talk about the subject of women in STEM. I will let them introduce themselves. Hi, uh, my name is Shruti. I have an architectural background. I'm an architect, but I've worked in sustainability for the last three or four years and I'm studying climate change and policy at the University of Leeds. Thank you, Shruti, and thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Hi, and I'm Harriet. I'm a third year stu epidemiology student and my PhD in the School of um, Food Science and Nutrition and my background's in the molecular sciences and then in epidemiology as well. And thank you as well for having me on the podcast. No worries, Harriet, thank you. That's a pleasure. I'm sure that the conversation today will open very, very interesting topics. Um, I would like to hear a little bit about how both of you uh, chose your path and, you know, just what struggles you felt you faced getting there as a woman in STEM. Um, do you want to start us off, Shruti? Uh, sure. So what really got me into architecture in the first place was just pure instinct. But unfortunately, um, architecture being in this strange space of half engineering, half art, it was it was considered the female version of engineering and we didn't have much of a precedent around us to tell us what it would be like. So I went into it a bit head first, not really knowing what it could be, but ended up really embracing and loving it, despite the toxicity that we could probably touch upon a little later. And even in class, it was, again, the same problem of having a lot of interested girls and women, but not many role models to really tell you what it is to be an architect, a female architect. And subsequently, my sustainability work got more and more analytical and started moving more towards the STEM part of it. And again, the same thing seemed to pop up. So the struggle across the years has been not having someone to really tell you what it is like to be in this STEM world being a woman. And as horrible as it sounds, it is something that someone probably should prime you for or brace you for. Absolutely. So do you feel like because you were a woman, you maybe had less of, um, of a sort of standing point, some, someone to look up to, someone to sort of help you make your path? Uh, yeah, definitely, because the more and more you get into even something as simple as the textbooks are laden with star architect male examples. And when you read about their struggles or when you read about what they went through to get to the top of the uh, quote unquote game, it's very hard to relate to any of it. And this is not just from a perspective of women, but also women of color. And those examples are even far and few. So you, you don't really find yourself being prepared for the struggles that you will have to face. And when you are there, no one really tells you whether you're doing it right or wrong or whether there's a right or wrong at all. Of course. And uh, Harriet, did you find uh, any sort of parallels in your field or did you have a a much different experience sort of building yourself up and there's definitely quite a few parallels I kind of fell into what I was doing so 
time of A-levels, I really loved science, particularly biology and the molecular stuff, but I didn't want to be a medic. I knew that. And I think a lot of the time, maybe particularly for women, the focus is on being a medic and not other different science degrees that you can do. So I did a biochemistry undergrad at first because I did biology and chemistry and it's a bit of both. It's kind of a fortuitous decision. And then I changed to biochemistry and genetics halfway through my undergrad degree, which luckily my program let you do. And then I decided I liked the data and analyst stuff. So I decided to do epidemiology as a master's, but that was not something I knew even existed when I was younger and there was never really a clear guidance of how you can be a female scientist if you're not a medic. Um, yeah, particularly for something like epidemiology, which has quite a lot of statistics in it and stats and maths, as we all know, is a very male dominated field. And there was definitely less focus for me when I was younger on females doing maths. I was the only person in my further maths class that was a female. Um, they actually, my school got me to do it because I was a female. They didn't have anyone in the class. So they picked me and kind of forced me into that route basically to make their numbers look better, which is fine. I enjoyed it, but I was definitely one of the very few that did science or maths as a female from my secondary school. Right. Well, that's interesting and that we can see that from the very, very beginning, even as a young girl choosing your paths, you could you were already aware that it was not a very common field for women and that was made quite um, explicit by the lack of role models and the lack of guidance, which I can completely understand why might put some people off. Um, and I'm sure that is something that carries through once you're established in your career. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just not being aware of the things that exist. So, you know, if I hadn't I've done what I did because I didn't do medicine. There was no other focus on getting me into science. It was something I had to find myself and then kind of fumble along the way to find the exact area of science I was interested in. And I don't think a lot of young people, particularly females, realise that there are actual areas of science to do with healthcare that isn't a medical degree. Mm -hmm. Yes, I understand. And um, once you sort of were, well, maybe not quite where you are now, but, you know, established in sort of your academic field um did those struggles of sort of underrepresentation and feeling confused and having a lack of guidance change um or did they stay did you experience new issues more issues less issues do you want to talk to us a little bit about you know once you were established in your job what struggles did you face as a, as a woman in stem so in the job side of things i think there are a lot more expectations that are both explicit and implicit being a woman and this is probably inside of stem and outside of stem but mm -hmm. uh, within stem i suppose there is this notion of having to having to put a lot of weight behind your word and it comes across as a bit ingenuous because the statistics or the analytics that are meant to speak for themselves are somehow subjected to doubt when it comes from a woman. And like what Harriet was mentioning earlier, for some reason, it's implied that maths and stats or very hardcore analytical science-based things are not 
ladylike or womanly. So when they do come from a female analytic, they're sort of put through another layer of rigor where you have to defend your position a bit louder. And when the same thing needs to be presented, you have to be a lot more put together than say your male colleague. You have to turn out a certain way in order for your work to be taken seriously. So these things, which I was not very exposed to while being a student, came across a lot more to the forefront while working. And despite being very lucky to have a female boss, we sort of saw all of us in the same light. And it was a bit disheartening to see that no she, she runs her business. She's at the top of the uh, metaphoric ladder and yet when presenting to other consultants, somehow her voice needed to be louder because the, the other consultants were men. So it leaves a question in your mind, does it ever get better? Yeah, so it's that idea of as a woman, you have to, even once you think you've established yourself, you have to work so much harder than a man to sort of almost keep proving yourself every day even once you think you've achieved what you want to achieve um why do you think that is Shruti uh I wish I knew but there seems to be this underlying theme of this is not where you belong and I think the systems that were put into place in terms of science were all very male-centric and again, the examples that we have are also from men, sort of catered to men. And an interesting uh, bit that I found out while working was that something like the thermostat settings on air conditioners were all based on comfort parameters designed on men. And women have a different sensitivity to uh, room temperatures but those were not taken into account at all comfort was catered around men so something that is so technical the idea of designing an air conditioning system still had this inherent sexism built into it mm -hmm. so you're really fighting up against a legacy that's come from years and years of inculcating that this is not where you belong Right, I understand and indeed it is definitely something uh, that needs to change and I think it's really good that we have two perspectives here because obviously Shruti you're talking about this in a very sort of professional context, um, however Harriet um, deals a lot more with the academic side of it and I'd like now to, uh, I'd like to know Harriet whether the struggles that Shruti has just spoken about is something we, we do find in academia as well or whether they are maybe different. I think there's definitely an issue of inherent bias, which is in the general world as well as academia. And there was a recent publication out saying that women, uh, PhD students with female mentors statistically did worse in terms of publication number than having a male mentor. And you have to kind of question why that is. There should be no reason of a difference in that. Females aren't any worse at mentoring someone than a, a male is, but there's still that issue in terms of academic success. And even in I've worked in academia briefly as well, and there were issues with pay inequalities there. So it's definitely still an issue that though academia is in becoming more inclusive, it is there are still sexist undertones just based on how the kind of ivory towers were built. The ivory towers, if you want to call academic academia that, 
were designed by men for men. So having a woman in the space, you're still the minority. You're still almost the anomaly. You can still feel like the anomaly, although the numbers of women in science is increasing. It doesn't mean the systems are in place to make them actually thrive there as much as they are from men. Yes, of course, I understand. And uh, what do you feel, Harriet, in, in sort of like your academic career has been the most shocking difference between um, sort of women and men in your in your field or in science in general? I think a lot of the differences, particularly now, are much more subtle. So kind of the inherent biases, like Sarika said, you a man can kind of show up to a recording, you know, fairly scruffy and things like that, and nothing would be thought of it. And I feel like women can't do that. Women have to present themselves to a very high level all the time. They're faced a much more scrutiny in that respect. And also the kind of characteristics that would make an academic successful, particularly things like having a lot of self-confidence, being able to accurately and clearly portray your work in a man they're seen as good characteristics, but in a female you can come across as aggressive or too in your face, things like that, which men are good qualities in men, but in women they're not seen as that. So it's really hard to get that balance of projecting yourself as confident and knowing what you're doing, but also not being seen as arrogant, which isn't, there's a much higher threshold for arrogance that men kind of get away with. Yes, of course. And I can imagine that sort of bleeds through to a to day-to-day -day life as well, you know, outside of professional and academic contexts, um, which sort of leads us on to, to this question, you know, um, it is really important to talk about women in STEM, uh, women in STEM in the workplace, but also outside the workplace. Do you feel like as women you have faced or have had friends and family members um, struggle, you know, outside the workplace with work-life balance, the expectation, the uh, maternity leave is something we hear about all the time. Do you personally have experiences with that, either of you? Yeah, I think in academia, it's definitely a problem, particularly if, you know, think doing an undergrad and a master's and a PhD, that takes you kind of looking at in the UK a minimum of seven years. And then you're constantly faced with questions outside of academia, like family, friends, kind of everyone else about when you're going to settle down. Well, what about having children? When are you, how can you still be in education until you're kind of mid to late 20s? What about everything else? And a man wouldn't be asked that, that kind of burden of starting a family wouldn't be placed on them partly because they don't have the same biological clock but also just how society is kind of built and um, it's not something I face the issue of personally yet but a lot of academic contracts as well they're um, temporary contracts you know two years three years that often doesn't come with maternity pay if it does it's not always as good as a full-time position there's the issue of having to move around a lot and all these things are detrimental to starting a family and to raising children and when a woman's moving around, I feel like it gets more, a lot more criticism than if it was a man. Yeah. Absolutely, yes, it's almost like the, um, the system is built from the very start so that if a woman wants to pursue quite a lengthy um, career, she will at some point have to choose between her career and her family, which is not always fair because as you said, a lot of men would not be faced with that issue. Um, is that something that you have experienced as well, Shruti, or you know people who have experienced this? 
Oh, definitely. And in the professional realm of things, this question, unfortunately, sometimes even comes up in interviews. And I've had friends who've been asked uh, very nasty questions like, oh, if you do intend on getting married, um, are you, aren't you a little bit of a liability for the company? Should we invest in training you? Because you're inevitably going to move to where your spouse is going to be. The presumptions made for a woman are quite horrifying. And to be able to, uh, the people who are taking these interviews somehow feel entitled to make those decisions for you, to put you in a position where you have to choose between these absolute non-equitable questions to ask you very personal questions, which would be unacceptable if they were interviewing a man. But um, when it comes to women and and also women in STEM, uh, questions like, oh, you'll be spending a lot of time in the workplace after hours, longer hours. Uh, is that something you will be allowed to do? The inherent question that allow there is someone giving a woman uh, permission to pursue the things that they have to is also strange, but very intrinsic. So uh, the entitlement that comes with asking women these questions is quite appalling. Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it sort of brings up the bigger question here, which is what what can we do? What can, um, well, first of all, we as a university do because this podcast was originally started to raise awareness on these issues and I'm sure that most people will be familiar with some of the struggles that women in STEM uh, come up with on a day-to-day -day basis but not necessarily a lot of things that um, that both of you have talked about so thank you again for sort of uh, shining a light on maybe uh, unfamiliar issues for a lot of people but yeah, what, what can we as a university do? What can companies do better? What can society do to help women in STEM? Um, I think there's kind of the normal solution. So representation is also very important. If you want to change the idea of what a scientist is, you need more female scientists. And that's slowly improving over time. But I think a really important point in someone's career progression to target is kind of high school children of young adults who don't necessarily have that female role model in science or STEM. By the time you're at university, you're already surrounded by more females. You've already got, you've already picked. It needs to be done before people pick their career paths. And more transparency and things like pay are obviously really important. And overall, a, a big change to how particularly in academia contracts are handed out. I don't think it should be, I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to be asked in an interview setting what they're like, plans in terms of family are that shouldn't be asked a woman's fertility and choices surrounding that are very personal and should be kept personal and I think there needs to be more legislation in place to stop that level of discrimination because it's obviously completely unfair but also very unprofessional. No I'm in complete agreement with Harriet and probably just to add a few points there uh there, there seems to be a reluctance to acknowledge that systems were made by men for men so a very explicit acknowledgement that these systems were not designed keeping women in mind is a great start across all fields, be it academic or professional. 
and to start seeing that there are inherent systemic biases that need to be accounted for and not just patchwork solutions like opening daycare centers and offices, but really asking the larger questions of why isn't there transparency in pay? Why should there be a pay gap? Is it is it ethical to ask women questions that they're being asked? Is it where 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 do these biases come from? Are we just holding on to tradition because of convenience? Nobody wants to really confront these issues, but th this is the that's the starting point for much larger systemic changes. And like Harriet was saying, it needs to be imbibed within legislature, within contractual agreements. Maternity and paternity, pay and leave have to become a lot more clear and equal such that it, it doesn't by default disadvantage someone and advantage another. Yes, indeed. Very, very important points you're making here, Shruti. Thank you so much. And thank you, Harriet, for all your amazing points as well. It was lovely to have you both on the podcast today. I am sure you have educated a lot of people and you are both clearly very inspiring down-to-earth women. Again, this is the Equality and Inclusion podcast for the Faculty of the Environment. I'm Audrey. Thank you, Harriet and Shruti, for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting us. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you very much. I second all of those comments.